Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the author George Eliot had a massive head. <laughs> That's very similar to another fact that we've had a few years ago. This is a sort of a sequel fact. This is so for fans of the show, you might have remembered in episode 265, oh, we yeah. delivered the jaw-breaking news that George Eliot had a secret... Jaw-slapping news. Jaw-dropping news. Yeah, but not jaw-breaking news. news. Oh, my, my facts are really aggressive. <laughs> the famous snapping news coming to you. Sorry, what was, the, what was the news we delivered then? So the jaw-dropping news, um, no breakage, is that 50 years after she died, for 50 years, uh, was the fact that she had a massive hand, but that was a secret, and the family denied okay. her having it. Anyway, so this was written in a book, which was back in the 1840s, so there was a biography that was put together of George Eliot by a writer called Matilda Blind or Mathilda Blind um, I can't get the exact pronunciation could be Blind as well could be what? could be Blind Blind it's probably Matilda Blind Matilda Blind <laughs> yeah. and so Matilda Blind wrote a biography of her and she went round she's South African Matilda Blind yeah. <laughs> yeah. she's a Kiwi <laughs> sorry so. she wrote an autobiography it must no, have she wrote a biography okay. yeah yeah a biography and during the research period she went to the farm where uh, George Eliot used to live and there was a couple there called the Brays and it was Mrs. Carabray who told everyone that she had this big hand. Mm -hmm. However, when I was reading the book recently, I also discovered that her husband became obsessed with George Eliot because he noticed that she also had a ginormous head. Was she just huge? Was she massive? Yeah. Was she a giant? She was, yeah. uh, no, she wasn't, she wasn't that big. But she, I mean, I think that's why they were astounded by the size of her head. She was taller than average, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but you're not so you're not just dragging out for when you don't have a fact next time. <laughs> George Eliot had a massive elbow. <laughs> the, I, it's quite possible we will be back in 100 episodes time with another feature. Um, so Mrs. Bray wrote of her. She said she had her head was massive. Her features powerful and rugged. Her mouth large but shapely. The jaw singularly square for a woman, unbreakable at the sound of a powerful fact, I imagine. <laughs> um, and so Mr. Bray said, I need to get your head turned into a cast. I need to take you to right. London. And so we can go and we can do phrenology on it and see how it's So phrenology is where you look at the shape of someone's head and you can tell their personality. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. It was very popular back in those days when people started trying to work out how the brain functioned and maybe certain bits of Well, they of couldn't do brain. palm reading on her because it'd be like going through <laughs> it does it sounds amazing the report so her head was it was measured by a doctor called james deville and then it was analyzed by george coombe who was one of the leaders of the phrenological movement in the whole country mm. so you know she would have needed a very big coombe <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and when he first saw the cast of her head coombe because he was doing the analysis he was in the lab um, I don't think I had a lab but anyway he took the cast for a man's head that's how huge it was you know oh, yeah. 22 and a quarter well, that's inches how, how much bigger are men's heads than women's heads well, statistically speaking and that my head is 5 centimetres bigger than George Eliot's but that's good so this this is just a bit bigger than George Eliot's head yeah yeah so that's if anyone sees picture. me in the pub and you, you're like, oh, that's James from the podcast. Imagine my head, but five centimeters smaller, and that'll yeah. be George Eliot's head. It's like she's there. So yeah. this is actually, now your fact has become 
kind of an insult to James because what you're saying is James Harkin has a really massive head compared to but then men really? on men do man. have larger heads in general than women I think that's true except for Andy apparently I'm just which Anna at was Andy's saying head. at the top of the show yeah a small head I'm not very comfortable with this line of uh, <laughs> inquiry have you ever if just listening at home have you ever seen a matchstick <laughs> <That's>, uh... <laughs> imagine the head was a bit smaller <laughs> actually goes in from the match shaft Australians yeah. you might know them as dickheads those matches that's right yeah um, and yeah. funnily at school <laughs> a lot that's of why the, they called you a that, lot of the it? kids were Australian match fans yeah, yeah. <laughs> um no, but so she was she was analysed by this phren- phrenologist, and oh, you know, yeah. so it said that um, her temperament was uh, nervous lymphatic, which means active without endurance. And lo and behold, it turned out that she worked from nine a.m. until one p.m. So she was active but didn't have endurance, okay. uh, and you know, intellectual and all of this. Yeah, um, and she she visited this guy over the years, Coombe. She didn't mm. just have her head sent to him via the casting. <laughs> she actually was in his presence a few times. Well, that's what happened. You would make the cast of the head, yeah. and you would send it to phrenologists who were keen to sort of measure the bumps and so you on. You just need to be very careful that you do specify cast before someone saws off their own head and inserts <laughs> it into a package. What if, okay, here's the thing I don't get. What about your hair? So if you've got huge hair, mm. that will surely obscure the lumps and bumps but on you your head. But you feel the bumps. You're not looking yeah. for the bumps. But this is one of the things that opponents of phrenology said, you know, this is why it's nonsense. So uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Oh, uh, yeah. He... Wait, pointed, who was he again? I think he was a, a writer and a doctor, I think. He was a celeb. He Victorian was a celeb. celeb. Okay. <laughs> I just double-checked because in my head I went, oh, Sherlock's brother, and then I realised <laughs> yes. not a real person. <laughs> Definitely not, no, no, no. Um, but he, he wrote this. He said, could you tell how much money there is in a safe by kneading its knobs with your fingers? When a man fumbles about my forehead and talks about the organs of individuality, size, etc., I trust him as much as I should if he felt the outside of my strongbox and told me there was a $5 or a $10 bill under this or that particular rivet. Okay. Which is okay. fair. Well, yeah. So yeah. even at the time, people It was think, a long way of saying, this is bullshit. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Why is was... he keeping such small value bills in a safe box? <laughs> Jesus. What's the point? Maybe he's on holiday. Even back then. It's just the 1700s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's worth a lot. Is it, is it 1800s, isn't it? I think so, yeah, yeah. That was, right. that was his manner. Um, but the idea was that, you know, you could have your eyeballs almost pushed out even. And this, what? in fact, was the first, you know, the first instance of it. So phrenology was coined, the idea of it was coined by Franz Joseph Gaul. And he said that he came up with the idea, or he realised it was the truth, when he noticed that classmates in his class could memorise these massive long bits of text. And the ones that could memorise it had quite bulging eyes. He said they had big salient eyes. <laughs> and he said, this must mean that the organ of verbal memory is sitting right behind your eyes. And if you're really good at remembering stuff, it's pushing them out. So I don't know if your eyes just drop out of your face entirely if you've got a really good memory. But then, yeah, he's the father of it, really, wasn't he? Yeah. The thing I liked about it, though, is he wasn't this Gaul mm. uh, character. He wasn't onto the wrong idea, really, because he, all he got... No, that's, I, I, I agree. I, I think, think, wait a sec. I think definite, um, the way well, that... I mean, it was definitely all bullshit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. but you know, modern-day <laughs> brain understanding is that certain bits of the brain are compartmentalised yeah. to certain things, music and so on, and, and emotions and right-thinking, left-thinking, all that. He didn't come up with that idea. So mm. someone else had come up with that idea and he thought, oh, well, what if I took that idea and then made the bump thing a thing? Right. Like, I can just see that so, I w- yeah. if I was around at that time, I definitely would have believed it. It just oh, sounds yeah, so obviously. Yeah. yeah. I think you would have as well. I yeah, know. you would. You would. It's, it's just quite... I think I wouldn't. Because it's very my, hard my to put yourself my in My the... organ of credulousness is tiny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, phrenology is basically astrology, isn't it? Or it was sort of a version of astrology in that it seemed to tell people things that were vague enough 
that they could go, yeah, yeah. that sounds exactly like, like me. Barnum's statements. It mostly wasn't. The, st- the reports you got from a friend of this were very rarely, you're a wanker. It was always, <laughs> oh, you've got a nice organ of this and organ of this. And I yeah. don't think... I don't think they often said, you've got the organ of the killer. No, but no. they told everyone else after they left <laughs> the theatre. But it was, it was used to suggest that other races were lower. It was used in a very racist sense. Yeah, and yeah. You people genesis, believed it. Yeah, it, eugenicists. To be honest, it was mostly used to whatever your belief was. Yeah. It was used to kind of strengthen that. So, for instance, there was a woman called Mrs. Hamilton... Uh, she was known as she was from Ayrshire and she would go around talking about phrenology but she said that because the bumps on a woman's head were generally the same as the bumps on a man's head this proved that women had exactly the same intellectual capacity as men's and she went around saying yeah well you know this proves feminism See, I knew it was mm. bullshit, but that is the nail in the coffin of phrenology there, isn't it? What <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling about. Um, Audubon got phrenologised. John James Audubon, the big bird man. Did oh, all yes. the bird sketches and stuff. And actually, he was He, was he wasn't huge. a bird man. He was a man who studied birds. He's a man who studied birds, easily, yeah. yeah. The confused. naturalist who was sort of the leading authority on yeah. birds that time and like yeah. his books full of beautiful drawings. And he wrote in his diary, I was astounded when I had my reading because they said that I must be a strong and constant lover an affectionate father, I would have made a great general, and that I was extraordinarily generous. I know all these to be facts, so I'm amazed that they discovered them. <laughs> I'm amazed that the person who you're paying to do your phrenology said, oh, apparently it says you're very generous with your tips. Um, yeah. Um, you guys remember Aaron Burr? Yeah. Of mm-hmm. Burr and Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Of musical fame. Vice President of America. Well, Aaron Burr was cast, his head was cast, but after his death. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah. And they found that he had lots of secretiveness and destructiveness. Mm. Did, Did he they? die in the duel? <laughs> no. Was no, he that? lived, he survived he the duel and then ran away, I think. He, yeah, yeah, he died on his deathbed many, many years later. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. such a mistake. He should yeah. never have gone there. He didn't don't, die on the field. When you're in John Lewis, don't <laughs> pick the deathbed. Hi, I'm looking for a deathbed. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> um, some celebrity fans, just quickly. Oh, yeah. Uh, modern day ones. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said celebrity. Not Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Uh, no, Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, okay. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course, of course. <laughs> he believed, oh, believed absolutely everything. everything. Yeah. I wish I'd been friends with him. The pranking you could have got done, Arthur Conan Doyle, has been epic. <laughs> uh, Queen Victoria as well, and Prince Albert. Oh. They had studies done by Can George Coombe. Say Andy, when yeah. you say some celebrities, I thank God you're not bucking Celebrity Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got us Queen Victoria and yeah. um, you'd want Francis to see Gaul. it. You'd want to see it. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a deathbed in my Shit. Not the deathbed. Uh, anyway, they they appointed uh, them. Barack Obama. Oh, find someone living. Fine. End, it's, no. end that wait, sentence, no, wait. James. Yeah, he's, gonna, sorry, he's into. No, he no, you no. don't let me finish my sentence. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Barack Obama is the subject of a incredibly weird book called The Phrenology of Barack Obama. Oh. Uh, it's a self-published book <laughs> no. by a guy called Benson Magos. Uh, and apparently he looked at a mysterious head scar on Obama's head that the mass media refuses to discuss. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and according to him, this is evidence that Obama once had a horn. Uh, and leads ultimately to the satanic endgame revealed by the demon horn of Moloch. 
Oh, okay. so I can't believe the Guardian isn't reporting on this. It's, it's outrageous. <laughs> it feels like he's missed the boat because he just served two terms and then left office in an orderly fashion. Yeah, well, like takes... what's what's Moloch's endgame here? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it took a while to find a publisher. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. um, I'm definitely buying it. By the way. <laughs> That sounds awesome. Um, yeah, th- this guy, Coombe, just going back to the casting oh, of, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of true celebrities, um, he he did very famous people. He did Prince Albert's head. So George yeah. Eliot was having her head done by the guy who did Prince Albert. Um, he did William Blake as well. Ooh. Um, or rather, he studied it was someone else who Coombe didn't do it. It was the there was a different person, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, James Deville. Um, so the, but where are these casts? Where's George Eliot's head? This, this room actually is the inside of the cast. They used it to the Statue of Liberty. Actually, uh, actual oh, size such head. a good ending what for the movie, for the phrenology movie. It's yes. like, and they never knew where it was. Whip pan out to and New it just York. Winks. Yes, yes. Mount Rushmore for their heads. Gives a little thumbs up with his massive hand. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that the chef who cooked for Lord's Cricketers on match days for 35 years was once asked to limit their meals to five courses, and she refused. (laughs) (laughs) So this was a woman called Nancy Doyle, and she, yeah, she was the the tea lady at Lord's for 35 years until 1996, I think she retired, and she liked to make them large, large meals. So obviously in cricket, you've got meals codified, and you have to take your lunch break. It's (laughs) the rules it's so amazing that they actually in the rules of cricket it says unless the umpires and captains together agree to alter it lunch shall be taken at the agreed time Mm-hmm. It's actually in the rules I that you have it. to have lunch. And the captains of each team decide on what time lunch yeah. is happening, how long and for. And the umpire, yeah. I mean, what, really? like that, what other sport has a conversation like that when you're about to flick the coin for who bats first <laughs> yeah. or whatever? You know, by the way, what time when are we, we having lunch? We, <laughs> yeah, what are we having? Well, we're having, it's a roast today. Oh, okay. So that's how hungry are you guys? Yeah. Yeah, well, so Mrs. Doyle. Mrs. Doyle. Uh, she, well, her typical menu seemed to be, for lunch you'd have soup, then a starter, then a... <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to because you've got to moisten your Absolutely. palate, I suppose. Yep. And then a starter, then roast meat and potatoes, and and she also served chips and vegetables. It's quite it's quite hard to know. This was mm. just on an example list that I think Mike Brearley gave of what she'd serve up: yeah. chips and vegetables, then a dessert, then a cheese board, <laughs> then you get back onto plate. But of course, in cricket, every two hours, because although they decide when you have meals, it's pretty yeah. much every two hours is the general oh, really? rules, roughly for when you eat. So two hours later, you get back in, and she's made you a huge cake. <laughs> and there you go. Amazing. So there was this moment where Mike Brearley said in the Mike, 70s... Mike Brearley, who was... Mike Brearley was the England captain right. at the time. He said to her, do you know what? I don't know if it's good for the game. Uh, <laughs> the, the guys can't stand up after lunch. <laughs> and she replied... So, she, you know, he was like, could we possibly make the meals a bit lighter? And she said, uh, but in an Irish accent... Tell you what, Michael, I won't tell you how to feckin' bat and you don't tell me how to feckin' cook. Okay? And that was it. And she was apparently terrifying. Someone called her uh, (laughs) small yet volcanic. So I think he didn't ask again. She also couldn't cook. (laughs) 
I mean, it's in the there's a, no, no snob on her whatsoever, but she said she'd never read a cookbook, she yeah. didn't use weighing scales, and she didn't follow recipes. But that shows having a natural affinity yeah. to cooking. Her organ of cooking was absolutely massive. <laughs> she was taught by nuns, wasn't she? Like, she did get taught, yeah. yeah. She just yeah. didn't... She, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, being yeah. able to cook without a recipe is... No, that, that is the mark of quality. Yeah. I found a bit of a scandal researching this fact. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ah. I thought tea in cricket was the most English thing. Right. It's not English. It's Australian. No. It was introduced by Australia. Come on. It was imported. Australia started doing this in about the 1880s um, and then a captain called Joe Darling brought it over Tea uh, Darling? The Tea Darling uh, in 1899 but even then it was brought onto the field so like they would bring you a cup of tea where you stood <laughs> and there are photos of England players just standing around with waitresses you know just bringing them a tea trolley basically ah, and it wasn't standard until about 1905 that players went off and had their tea so it's an Aussie thing very cool okay. I know that. Yeah. Uh, you were saying about how Nancy can't cook mm. Andy um, she can't cook curries uh, that is one oh. thing. She can't cook anything anymore because she is dead. <laughs> yes, uh, sorry. She couldn't cook Deathbed sure. dead? It was a... What kind of death? It was a deathbed thing, yeah. Death. Another oh, cause, cause of death, deathbed. <laughs> um, no, she couldn't cook curries, I should have said. Okay. Um, because during tests, uh, when England's playing people like India, Pakistan, mm. Sri Lanka, they want to have food which they had at home. Uh, and so they want to have curries. And she couldn't cook them. And so she brought her daughter, Jeanette, in. Uh, and Jeanette, who was a nurse, was apparently a brilliant curry maker, so she would come in and make the curries. I love that. Right. Just get so professional good. cooks, guys. No, it's so weird. No, she was a nurse. Get a nurse. Oh, who, was. <laughs> get, get a nurse who might have left some really ill people to die. <laughs> I'm just going to leave these deathbeds. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, curries are, have been a problem in the past for English cricketers. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. back, you know, when they do big tours of India and Pakistan and in the 70s and 80s when curry was less common here and people weren't used to eating it, a lot of the players found it quite difficult. And Alex Stewart, in fact, who was a player in the 80s, said yeah. that he basically, before they were doing a tour of India, him and Jack Russell, who <laughs> I hadn't heard of Jack Russell, but um, they couldn't hack the Indian food. And so before they fly out to Pakistan, they said they do a trip to Tesco and they just <laughs> buy uh, Alec would buy 43 chicken breasts 43 days worth of mashed potatoes and 43 days worth of broccoli and every day he'd just make himself chicken breasts broccoli <gasps> oh my God. mashed potatoes I mean, did he say going to India? Yeah. Quite, quite a hot country. Are these chicken breasts refrigerated or are they just, <laughs> just loose in his case? <laughs> that is horrible. Just make it the separating chicken case. I, look, I think they probably had some kind of refrigeration <laughs> technology. Didn't we? I don't know if we ever mentioned this on the podcast that when um, the Beatles went to India mm. to right. see the Maharaja, oh, no, not yeah. the Maharaja, the guru, the guru wasn't it? Yeah, they went yeah, to yeah. see their guru who was going to teach them transcendental meditation and how to free their minds and all of this. Yeah. And Ringo Starr took a suitcase of baked beans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Did we say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Great, great, great. But that's because he had, he had digestion problems from childhood when he was hospitalised and nearly died in hospital. Wow. So. Well, just getting the yeah. facts in. Um, Whereas Alex Stewart was just being a bit of a bore. Which, <laughs> which, in fact, Atherton wrote in his autobiography. And I feel like this might cause some tension with your teammate. So Atherton was yeah. um, in Captain Work, played with Stewart, said, Alex Stewart has a narrow focus on sport and life. I do wonder, and he said this of his meal choices in India, <laughs> I do wonder whether he'll look back with regret at some of the missed opportunities that touring life wow. offers. Wow. But you can say the same about me when we go on tour. That's and true. I'm sure you all three do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear you, though. But 
because it's after 9pm and I'm in bed. You do have a lot of courses on your breakfast every morning. Oh my don't god, you? yes you That's do. That's true, but I have brought them all from home and I've stored them in the suitcase. I've just brought 350 waffles. I went to a cricket match once and it was sponsored by Soreen Malt Loaf. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah delicious. And so there was a guy there and he was handing out free bits of malt loaf to everyone. Uh, but no one really likes malt loaf and everyone likes beer in um, watching Lancashire <laughs> cricket. And so everyone just started throwing malt loaf at him. Oh my God. And he refused to give any more malt loaf to anyone and everyone got really upset because they wouldn't give him any malt loaf but anymore. Hang on, they only wanted it to throw at the guy who's <laughs> handing it up. If he removes himself, it's a, the, the loop closes. I, well, he did exactly the right thing as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but the 20,000 people in Old Trafford did not L- see it the same so way. Wow. I love malt loaf. Yeah, I'd, have been, I'd, have been just, I'd have been grubbing around, picking it up <laughs> with my big net standing near him. What is it? I don't think it's I've had it. absolutely delicious. Look, I, we're not sponsored this week by malt loaf, but I, I, <laughs> I do like really, be. Uh, Sorry if you're listening. It's a kind of fruity bread, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, nice. very, it's very delicious. Well, it's I very think, although I think any beer drinker worth his salt, if he loves beer that much, can turn a malt loaf into a beer. It's got malt in it. Oh, yeah. Surely That's you blend true. that. And a cricket match over five days, eventually it's going to ferment. Exactly. <laughs> um, just on a sort of eating and drinking in cricket and drinking specifically, uh, there's a guy, a cricketer called Gary Sobers, and I yeah. want you to remember that. Yes. Oh, I, get, I see <laughs> yeah. where we're going here. Yeah. I was trying to work out which road you were going to go sentence down. Per, almost a sentence person. You need Gary up Sobers to up. be here. Yeah, yeah, if, he married, if he married in double barrel with Helen Up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, anyway, Gary Sobers, he batted his last century while drunk. Uh, and not, e- not even just a bit tipsy. This sounds like a mad experience. So he was playing at Lords. He played for the West Indies. And he'd been out clubbing until nine in the morning. <laughs> and he was batting that day. And he was going straight into bat. So he got in at nine. He's completely hammered. Been drink- solidly drinking for, you know, 12 hours straight. He batted amazingly well. He hit 132. Wow. Um, extraordinary. But then begged to be taken off because he said suddenly he sort of started to sober up. Oh, the come down. Started to live up to his name in the come down oh, and the sobering no. up and the hangover. Oh, so no. he was taken off with a stomach complaint after batting 132. And then he was brought off but felt quite bad about it. And so ended up being apparently, according to him, revived with a couple of large port and brandies. Oh my god! Right. I didn't know port and Can brandy. Mm. I've not heard of that as a drink. No, it's not like a very old-fashioned Jagerbomb, basically. <laughs> I think that was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you come back on to cricket? I thought once if you've got sick, yeah. Oh, okay. Should, yeah, I didn't can, know that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so he sick? returned. He returned to hit 150, not out, and then they, the England retired. Wow. I wonder if that's still, the drinking still goes W.G. Grace, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was around in the 18, late 1800s. Yeah. His choice of drink during matches was if he was coming off, he would drink champagne, you know, during the match all the way through. And at lunch, he would have whiskey as his choice of drink. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, bladdered the whole time that he was yeah. playing. Yeah. Or, or, you know, comfortably merry as opposed to drunk. Yeah. But I wonder if that still happens. Of course it doesn't. And this is, I think this is one of the great tragedies of all sports, because of course it doesn't, because they've all changed in the last 30 years so mm. dramatically. Yeah. Like anything you watch, tennis, football, cricket. None of them are pissed. Don't call sober and they're eating these crazy diets. And uh. it's just, I think there should be a rule that says no professional sports people are allowed to eat anything outside of what they would normally eat yeah. or drink. And then you just have to play like that, which is basically how they did it until the 70s or 80s, isn't Agassi it? won quite a seminal match in his career with a giant hangover from the night before. And he played really? so well with the hangover that he did think, am I going to have to do this for every match now? Because <laughs> wow. this is so good. Well, yeah. it's, it's, and it's kind of like um, 
uh, what's the chops? Usain Bolt, who at uh, the yeah. Beijing Olympics, I think, 2008, he yeah. owned, pretty much only had chicken nuggets. Yeah, because well, I didn't think he tr- trusted the local cuisine. To right, think, okay. That was a thing. He brought them all. He bought 43 days' worth, <laughs> and they were <laughs> pretty off by the end. <laughs> um, there are two cricketers for India uh, called Rishabh Pant and Ishan Kishan. Uh, and when they get together, they just eat any old crap. And apparently the, their favorite thing is they get a bun, they put some chocolate ice cream on the bread, and then they put Nando sauce on top of that. And then they put a piece of chicken on top of that. And they eat it, and they reckon if you eat that, it guarantees you're going to score runs the next day. Right. Wow. Has, has anyone put it to a scientific testing, rigorous testing process? These are great cricketers, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's two of the best in the world. Yeah, Anna, they're, doing what, they're doing what you want, Anna. They're just You're combining right. all the unhealthy foods into one meal. I, I'm very hard to please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good on them. Uh, but the Sri Lankan cricketers have been banned from eating biscuits. This is a few years ago, actually. Um, but they they were losing games, and the government decided to get involved. <laughs> and the Sri Lankan government gave them an ultimatum and said start winning matches or we're going to get rid of your biscuits uh, and they didn't kept, they didn't <laughs> they win didn't matches win. and they lost their biscuits no uh, and Lasith Malinga who's a really famous bowler he uh, he talked about the comments of the sports minister and said what does a monkey know about a parrot's nesting hollow what an amazing burn Isn't that's that a cool. sick bit of sledging <laughs> I just yeah. love the idea of one of them going into a shop trying to buy some biscuits and yeah. the shopkeeper looking under the counter where the entire squad's photos are up <laughs> to be honest if it's Lasith, Lasith Malinga is very clear what he looks like he's okay yeah he's, he's distinct, distinctive looking very distinctive okay there's no way he got a biscuit in the whole country <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> loitering outside a shop asking a couple of 10 year olds on their way can give me some garibaldi's could you please <laughs> okay it is time for fact number three and that is andy my fact is that Northern Ireland contains the world's only upside-down lighthouse. <laughs> so was that an architectural cock-up? Or maybe to um, scare moles away from the... Exactly. It's got a massive mole problem. Uh, aquatic moles. And uh, No, it's, it is so weird. Because genuinely, it's not just a low... It's got a tower, but the tower is above the light. But it's just for anyone who's picturing in their head a lighthouse that's been flipped upside down. It's, it's basically that. not it at all that. like it that. Is exactly it is in no way that. I'm sorry, it is exactly okay, that. Andy, explain exactly what it is. Thank we'll you. We'll see if it's exactly what Dan thinks it is. It's on an island called Rathlin, which is off the coast of Northern Ireland. Okay. And uh, the, the lighthouse was built into the cliff face at the island's edge. Yeah. Right. And they wanted a lighthouse because they wanted to warn shipping about, you know, the island and its presence. But the problem is the island is often covered in fog. Right. It's covered in fog. So so if you were to have the uh, lighthouse installed on the cliffs, at the bottom of the cliffs, and the light up at the top of the cliffs, the light would be lost in the fog. Mm. So they built the tower, mm. uh, which is where all the supplies are kept and the stores and the spare lenses for the light bulb and all of this stuff. But the actual light itself is at the bottom of the cliffs, and that's okay. the thing that means it can be seen So more. it's like they've sliced the top off a lighthouse and then put it down in front of exactly. the rest of the lighthouse. Exactly. 
Or have yeah. they put it all in reverse order? No. Like, have they... You have to climb down the stairs <laughs> upside down to get there. Yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of a little, it's sitting in front of the tower. It's not directly yeah. underneath and the tower. Also, it's, it's a lighthouse, the... and the bulb is at the bottom, not at the top. It's an upside down lighthouse. <laughs> so it's not like in the daytime, it makes a dark area. That's an inside out lighthouse. Sorry. I always get them mixed up. And it's just a very cool thing. Thing. And it had um, it's been it was built in about 1912, I think. So it's uh, what 110 years old now. Mm. And also, I read this about Rathlin Island. I can't, I don't know if it's true. That it's the island where Robert the Bruce went after yeah. a battle, and it's where he saw the useless spider. That is true. Mm. Well, the fact that whether that happened or not, <laughs> it's definitely said to have happened on Rathlin. Yeah. It's said to have happened in a cave underneath the lighthouse. Uh, but not that lighthouse, the oh, other lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> There's an east lighthouse and a west lighthouse, uh, oh, and the Robert okay. the Bruce one is the other one. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So the story is, isn't it? Yeah, that, sorry. Um, Scottish he was in a yeah, Scottish guy. He's, he's gone away from, from where the battles are. He sat down. He's worried. There's a spider there. The spider keeps trying to make a web, keeps trying to jump over, keeps yeah. failing, and eventually he makes it, and he thinks, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And he goes back and gets dashed on the rocks because of this useless <laughs> lighthouse <laughs> light at the bottom they um, also have fog bells sometimes lighthouses because it is a problem yeah. uh, a lot that you can't see a lighthouse if it's obscured by fog and they, it sounds like they haven't really cracked it so they have bells which A is a lighthouse keeper I suppose you had or you had to in the olden days before everything was automated you had to just ring them kind of constantly um, so I think you'd ring them about uh, two rings every 15 seconds in fog to let ships know wow. that you were there right. and it only travelled about 100 metres so I think the light from lighthouses can travel many many kilometres can't it Seven, yeah. nine, more than that kilometres but it couldn't travel that far you, and you could you could wind them up the bells yeah. so you'd wind them up really 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 far and then it could as it unwound like a clock it could do 10,000 strikes wow, oh, that's wow. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. the Rathlin Island fog signal can be heard 20 miles away oh so they've got an audio it's, signal as well yeah yeah they have a fog signal too yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah it's pretty cool they're very just they're very cool places lighthouses mm -hmm. you know the beautiful lighthouse lens that you see which looks almost like a chandelier it's got loads of cut faces and sides and edges right. and it's incredibly complicated and it looks you know it's not just a big lamp um, that is the creation of a guy called uh, Augustin Jean Fresnel, who was, by the way, the one who realised that light is a transverse wave. Mm -hmm. Big deal, guy. Or is it, though? Oh. So okay. That's just a whole I separate debate. I don't think we've got time to get into that. Yeah, you know, you're right. Um, but basically, they were, the lenses would have been incredibly heavy if you just made a single lens. So he created this clever lens, which can be much thinner, but it has dozens of prisms, and they all focus the light. So you do get a beam using much less glass. Um, but the really cool thing about those heavy, great lenses at the top is they were created to float. Uh, and they On mercury. Yes. And they float in this mercury bath. And it's so cool because mercury is so dense. It's 14 times denser than water. And if you drop a, a lump of solid steel into mercury, it will float mm. and re float really high up in it. Right. And so the whole lighthouse top was just floating on this Seems quite groove. dangerous. So dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't call it a bath. If you're in that house with kids, they'll try and bath in that at some point. What do you think the US Coast Guard's only lighthouse keeper has in common with the uh, English female cricketer who has the highest ever score in a test match? 
Um, long arms. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so be... she she could change the light. Change bulb. the bulb. How yeah, many yeah. how many lighthouse keepers does it take? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without going upstairs. Yeah. And obviously, as a cricketer, it's good. You to need have longer long arms, arms, don't you? Yeah, it's yeah. It's not that. No. Okay. I think. What do they have in common? Okay. What do they have in common? Wait, wait. Light, the U.S. only lighthouse keeper. Yeah. On the U.S. U.S. Coast Guard's only lighthouse keeper. I would guess you're not going to guess that. If it's the answer, I think I reckon you're not going to guess it unless you know one of both of them. So record. this could be one of those long games like the other day. What was it the other day we had? <laughs> oh, stained glass. Which, which like artist? Bloody stained glass <laughs> artist game this again. This is going to last us <laughs> way longer than that, by the way. Red, oh, she red, doesn't live in a lighthouse. Uh, she does live red, in a lighthouse. Red, red she and white. lives in a lighthouse. But well, actually, okay. I, we don't know that, do we? Do you know where she lives? Hang, hang, hang on, hang on. Okay. I do know this. Cri- okay, cricketers yeah. wear white, don't they? Oh, yeah. And yeah. the ball is red. Yeah. Now, what are the typical colours of a lighthouse? <laughs> They're red and white. Okay, so take that knowledge. Yeah. And... Forget about it. Okay. <laughs> I try to think of something else. Okay. The, the Coast Guard surname is Lighthouse, and her surname is Coast Guard. You're so close. Oh. They have very similar surnames. Okay. Think of something that's white. Something yeah. else that's white. Uh, you know the answer. White. Yeah. Well, oh, I, cocaine. I I They're both called cocaine. <laughs> Jessica, cocaine. No, no. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard's only lighthouse keeper is called Sally Snowman, <laughs> uh, and the highest score ever by an English female cricketer in a Test match was by Betty Snowball. <laughs> oh my god so it's not even something they've got in common it's just something quite similar we got the word snow <laughs> oh my god I'm in I'd count that that's, <laughs> that's, that's a real fair question that's a million dollar question who wants to be a millionaire that's like who would know that James what can my phone a friend be James <laughs> I'm there going option B please red and white is the thing that links them <laughs> <laughs> she's Wait, actually had to retire Sally Snowman has she? yeah last year I think which one's she? the, the lighthouse keeper right. yeah no yeah. more walking in the air for her because um, <laughs> <laughs> she... when you're at the top of the lighthouse it must feel like you're floating in the moonlit sky yeah that's yeah. good I wonder if she blasted that out in, in times of fog you could hear walking in the and air and abducted boys at night yes <laughs> and now all that's left in that lighthouse is a solitary carrot <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know that I am a member of the Association of Lighthouse Keepers. Are you? Yeah. Did you join it just for this I episode? I joined it yesterday. Yep. <laughs> really? And I gotta say. The ALK. The ALK. Are you an alcoholic? I am. <laughs> I, and it's it's fun. Yeah. Have you got a posting yet? Do we have to do a podcast from lighthouses? I'm from here right, so, yeah. um, but you don't have to be a lighthouse keeper to join. That's well, the wonderful okay. thing. Evidently, if you've joined. <laughs> unless you've also got a job as a lighthouse I've keeper just to join. That's the news, guys. Uh, no, but it's really good. Just to say, quick shout out to them. It's very reasonable price for a year's membership. Yeah, yeah. And I think you might get a sticker for your car. Any, anything else you get for it? You get their quarterly journal, Lamp. Yeah. Right, and I re- I've read a bit of it. I've read a sample online. It's really good. Is it? Yeah. What do they like? Is it largely just the latest in lighthouse news? Shining or? a light on lighthouse <laughs> news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't do exposés or anything no. like that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just lots of news from the lighthouse community, and you know, you're anyway. being quite cagey about how much it was. But what is it? What is a reasonable yeah. price to pay? Also, to be can I ask what is the sticker? Is it like my other car is a lifeboat? <laughs> <laughs> My other headlamp is a Fresnel lens. <laughs> How much was it? Uh, well, it's, I don't want to seem flash, but it was £18 for a year. £18? Oh. Yeah. For one joke that we might cut out. They <laughs> <laughs> almost certainly will get out. I know. Uh, I'm worried that this is going to take over your life gradually, and when you quit the podcast in five years, this is the moment we should have known. <laughs> wow, you think I'm going to last five more years on the show? <laughs> I'm incredibly flattered. <laughs> 
I'll just have just have one weird lighthouse. One of my favorite lighthouses oh, yeah. 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 Um, is uh, I think basically an unnecessary lighthouse. It's the lighthouse in Machaya Seal Island. So this is um, Machaya Seal. Machias, Machias. Um, Where's so that? So it's a tiny little island just between the U.S. and Canada, and oh. its positioning is crucial because it's a land border. Most of that, isn't it? The yeah. U.S. and Canada, famously. But that, like it's so, so it's on like if you sort of continue the border, basically it's oh, in the oh, Atlantic oh. Ocean. Got it. A sort of between okay. Maine between, and, you know... Well, exactly, right. between Maine and New Brunswick. Yeah. And so it's disputed because both countries want oh. ownership of this tiny uninhabited island. Right. I think because you can claim fishing rights around a circum- certain circumference of it if you do claim it. So it's been argued over since 1832. And Canada, to stake its own claim for the last 25 years, has just kept a lighthouse keeper in a lighthouse on there <laughs> <laughs> to say to stamp its identity <laughs> on the island and it's this guy called Ralph Eldridge same guy it's been the same guy for 25 years wow. yeah. uh, it's actually two guys and they alternate one month on one month off okay. um, but they're fun guys I, I read an interview with Ralph a couple of years ago where the interviewer said because it's just him the interviewer said are you a lonely person Ralph and he said lonely is the wrong word independent is better let's say I like me best of all and then the interviewer oh, no. just goes, divorced, Ralph? Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, there was a bit of Lighthouse news this year, uh, right. so you might be seeing it in Lamp later on. In Great. Your, in your quarterly <laughs> six months' time. <laughs> what? Tam was right. <laughs> and that was there was a film festival which took place in a lighthouse this oh, year. Cool. It was a Swedish film festival, the Gothenburg Film Festival, and 60 movies were played in total at this festival, and they were played entirely to one human. <laughs> and Did they use the light from the lighthouse? Oh, as the projector. projector. Did you have to keep walking around <laughs> <the> top <laughs> see it? Yeah. There were 19 shipwrecks in it. <laughs> Sailors were so entranced watching Back to the Future 3. <laughs> That's so cool. So yeah. what, what, was, it, was it a particular kind of film? As in, was there a genre? There was, no, there no. Was I mean, a film recently with Robert Pattinson, wasn't yes, there? Yes, the Lighthouse. The lighthouse. Oh, and they played two lighthouse keepers who were going yeah, mad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, it's a collection of independent film making. Okay. Yeah, so I just every, thought, every it, it kind of genre. It sounds like a horror film festival. You know, we're going to trap yeah. you in the lighthouse and show you sixty films. Well, no, it was a it was a COVID thing that happened, um, and so they couldn't put the festival on as they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and actually, sorry, I slightly got it wrong. So it might have already been in a um, issue of Lamp. Okay. Uh, this was twenty twenty one, so you might have missed out on the uh, story. Just uh, I'm sure that you can get back issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, the idea was they were going to have to go online and just stream it online uh, for yeah. the entire well, that's, that's literally the opposite of playing it to one person that's playing it to everyone mm-hmm. with internet yeah, access yeah but in for one thing they wanted to do was make it special and so they did a yeah. competition 12,000 people applied for it and this one person Lisa Enthroth won it oh. and so she got sent by boat to this island they took away all of her electronics <laughs> she had just a little <laughs> iPad it does sound like a horror film <laughs> it does yeah. sound like a horror <laughs> film there was one person on the island who was checking on her once a day just to make sure that she was okay <laughs> the murderer as yeah. he's otherwise known <laughs> yes and she was there for a week watching these 60 films uh, so she had to watch about nine films a day which is presumably about 18 hours she's underslept she hasn't better to do (laughs) that's true did she have to watch them did she get tested on (laughs) (laughs) the creepy caretaker of the island will do a little film quiz after every single one and who played the butler (laughs) what does the cricketer (laughs) Betty Snowball (laughs) have in common (laughs) 
Okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that in 2007, a Japanese arm wrestling arcade machine was recalled when it broke three players' arms. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. See, I am amazed it wasn't recalled after breaking one player's arm. Yeah. No, they thought... Let's let's let uh, it yeah, break let's a few more people's yeah, arms yeah. first. <laughs> no, I think they happened. All the breaks happened in a short enough time that they they couldn't recall it before. What they an afternoon it. at the arcade that must have been. <laughs> you know, ringing ringing the third ambulance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazingly, actually, we are going to contact the manufacturers it, yeah. now. Possibly yes. three yeah. kids who were holding it at the same time, trying to be the big boss. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, they, three they, snaps. They were all in the same trench coat, standing on each other's shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you've lost the arm, but we have replaced it with one of these claw grabbers <laughs> <laughs> with which you won't be able to grab anything at all just try and have your breakfast every morning you just you grab the spoon and then just drop it before it gets to your mouth uh, no so this is a company called Atlas um, and the game is called Armed Spirit and what they said uh, this was in an article from the BBC is that probably the players got a bit overexcited and maybe they <laughs> twisted their arms in a slightly weird way because the game was it was like a fake arm yeah. uh, and then you would grab hold of the fake arm and you would play an arm wrestling game against it yeah. uh, and there were like 10 levels and it went from the easiest level which was a French maid Okay. Okay. Famously, famously weak. <laughs> There's a lot of lugging to do when you're a yeah. French maid. Some of those dusters are extremely heavy with you're all right. the feathers. Look at George Eliot. That's where she got her hand from. <laughs> milking all them cows. <laughs> don't think. George... I don't. French maid is not the same as like a cow maid. Milkmaid. Oh, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> French milkmaids don't wear the little lacy outfits. They're quite different. If yeah. you go to Anne Summers and ask for a milkmaid outfit, <laughs> <laughs> do you mean French maid? No, no. <laughs> Sense. Something I can milk a cow in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, after the French maid, you might fight against a drunken martial arts master, a chihuahua dog, and the final is against a professional arm wrestler. Mm. Uh, and it gets harder and harder each time. So in the end, that's not the order I would put that in. You're saying a chihuahua dog is better at arm wrestling than a drunken martial arts master. Doesn't seem that way, does it? How drunken? Yeah, yeah. yeah see, if he's unconscious, then possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I can see though how an arm breakage might happen based on a video that I watched on on YouTube there's lots of videos where you can see people playing not this game not Arm Spirit but there's another game called Over the Top and very similar I think it's exactly the same game basically I think Um, that's also sorry just for legal reasons probably not exactly the same yes probably (laughs) there's no Chihuahua for example (laughs) in uh, Over the Top and so you've got the big bulky hand there and I watched a video of a super strong guy take on the final boss and he was holding it and my god he was like really going for it right and someone leans over next to him and says, "Ah, oh, when I tried to beat the big box, I totally cheated. I lent in. I got my arms underneath it. I went. Uh, yeah. So I can imagine by manipulation of your body in weird ways to try and beat yeah. it, a yeah. snap might occur when you buckle. No, no, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't over the over the top as a move, isn't it? In arm in arm wrestling, it's where you kind of twist your wrist a little. Oh, bit, I thought it was right? where you put your fingers over the top of their hand." But they're probably meant to be anyway. If yeah. they're holding your whole hand in their hand, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to do very well. Okay. Yeah. But I, so can there I just are, check there with... are moves. There are proper moves yeah. in arm wrestling. Yeah, there there, there, are, are, sort there of, are. I think a couple of dozen different techniques. Yeah, as yeah. in, you know, if you're, if you're watching with an expert of the game, they'll say, "Ah, oh, he's trying the French defense now, or whatever." So <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing a French made outfit. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were you going to say, Anna? You, you... I was just going to establish that it was the kid's fault. Is that, oh. that seems to be where we're landing. 
on this. The company said they were playing it in a weird way. Who do we think is likelier to sue? I think <laughs> is the question we need to answer. I think there was no, um, as far as I could see, I couldn't see any later news stories that explained whether anyone mm. had sued anyone. Or I feel like that. some parents got some real large quantities of cash behind the scenes for that. I don't know Surely. what happened on that. But I wouldn't like to comment. But arm breakage does happen in arm wrestling. Yeah. Relatively yeah. 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 regularly. Apparently, <laughs> this is according to John Bjenk, who is the Guinness Hero. World Records greatest yeah. arm wrestler of all time. He says that the people who break their arms tend to be beginners because you get incredibly strong when you're starting out arm wrestling, but you haven't actually built up kind of the uh, bone and tendon resilience. Oh. So you don't know your own strength. You break your own arm. You literally you push so, so, so hard that your bone just snaps. Yeah. And it's really horrible. There was a match in Cumbria in 2018. It was like a farmer's event. Um, and there were various kind of fun things like a little fairground ride or a little, you know, shoot the tail off the donkey or whatever. <laughs> they do those things. And is that what they do? Yeah. No, yeah. Not really. Welcome to Anna's Fair. Okay, look, th this was nothing like my fantasy fair. <laughs> this was just a normal fair. There was an arm wrestling contest. A 20-year-old girl broke her arm incredibly badly, it sounds oh, like. She was no. wrestling another girl. Mm. Uh, was in a huge amount of pain. Her opponent fainted, which I, I can really imagine doing if you're arm wrestling someone. Yeah. You know when you see one of those snappages that where it's suddenly oh, at a right yeah. angle to the arm? Yeah. So her opponent fainted. And then they interviewed I think this was on the BBC they interviewed the paramedic uh, Andrew Dickinson who said this is what happened the opponent fainted but he also added the rest of the day was absolutely fantastic it ended in a dance where 600 people attended and we were on site until 1.30 in the morning <laughs> is that good paramedicking? I guess if you're the on site paramedic if yeah. you were summoned to take her to hospital it's very bad paramedicking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not clear Sorry, they're starting the dance now would you mind if we just kept the engine running a little <laughs> bit longer so I was I always wondered because I, I, uh, I'm not not actually a professional arm wrestler myself. No, no, no. no. I, I'm a member no, of the association. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get the magazine. Yeah. Slam. It's impossible to pick it up. <laughs> um, but I, I thought that the rule was that you couldn't hold the table. Right. Okay. Actually, in the professional game, they install pegs in the oh, table yeah, for you yeah. to yeah. hang on to. Yes. So yeah. it's all about the rest of your body as well. So, do you think? Oh, yes. I can believe it. Yeah, I thought it was just about your arm. <laughs> am, I, am I right? I've, I've got an old memory of you, James, of you and me hanging out and you saying oh, to yeah. me, I have an unbeatable technique. technique. I do, And yeah. then we did it and you almost broke my arm, basically, yeah. in my attempt to... So you know how to... I not do, but I have to really... Uh, you know, I have to trick you into, the, into position, basically. Oh. Is that why I was upside down? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a way, basically, you could, if I was to arm wrestle you and we kept the table on my right-hand side and your left-hand side mm. and we arm wrestled on that table, then I would be pulling with my arm and you'd be pushing with your arm and the pulling muscle is way stronger than the pushing muscle so you can beat anyone and it's like a pub trick where you can win a pint off something that kind of thing yes but if you're any got any brain cells on you you insist surely you do it over a table right yeah but if you're in a bar you if might there the might bar. be a bar oh, right the, you know, bar. that's why it yeah, works yeah. in a pub yeah cause... that's a good point yeah. yeah yeah anyway i have injuries now that means i can't do um arm wrestling Oh, I have um, something called tenosynovitis of the first compartment of the wrist. It's a very common thing that arm wrestlers get. Oh. 
Um, and yeah, it's like Arm Wrestler's Thumb, it's called. Wow. Did you get it from Arm Wrestling? No, I got the version which is also known as Mum's Thumb. Uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> I got it from carrying my baby too much. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but you can get the same injury from carrying a baby in the wrong way wow. as you can get from arm wrestling in the wrong way. Well, it's better than getting the one they call Wanker's Colic. <laughs> 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 um, the, so you mentioned John Brzenk yeah. there, Anna, the great uh, arm wrestling champion. Yeah. So he is the guy who the main bit of culture about arm wrestling ever to exist in the world is based on. Oh, what's yes. that? It's the movie Over the Top, which is a Sylvester Stallone film, which we have briefly mentioned fleetingly in passing in the past. Basically, he, he plays a character called Lincoln Hawk. Uh, whose character's name changes about twice as the film continues. Like, it's that, it's that level of attention to detail. Um, and, uh, you know, he has to arm wrestle his way to winning a big prize and yeah, to a yeah. relationship with his son. Um, but it's based on John Brzenk. And this is the really nice thing. John Brzenk worked for decades as a mechanic at Delta Airlines mm. so that he could arm wrestle because he wanted to travel. The, his main expenditure was t plane tickets to yeah, yeah. arm wrestling competitions. Whereas if he worked as a mechanic at Delta Airlines, free transport. Free travel. Nice. Does that right. also mean that if you're in, let's say, the World <laughs> Championships in Reykjavik or something, and you yeah. want to go home, but there's a problem with the plane, and he's in the middle of an arm wrestling championship, you have to wait. Everyone has to wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. But, but or if he sees a competitor heading towards the championship, he can mess up a piece on the plane. Oh, that's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> What? <laughs> Not saying through a crash, just yeah, so it doesn't yeah. take off. Yeah, just throw something small into the engine, you know, <laughs> anyway. But, God, you wouldn't want to share an arm rest with him, would you? No. <laughs> depends which side oh. depends which side but he so I think his both arms are probably strong I was really yes, I was yes. hoping I was looking at pictures of all arm wrestlers desperately hoping to find like one puny flaccid little stringy yeah. arm and one there is one. a difference though there is a difference in size and it's roughly yeah. the difference between George Eliot's head and James Harkin's head it's that's the <laughs> yeah, that's five the, centimeters yeah it's about right. that that's interesting because you get I mean, some um, some of them are experts with just the right hand and some of them are experts with just the left hand and yeah. I think the women's champion last year won both right You're hand kidding. and left hand. Yeah, wow. I've forgotten her name, but so are there are there people who just never play each other? Yeah, of course. Yeah, because if you're right-handed and you, there's a champion who's a left-handed, how are you ever going to meet them? Yeah. You can't both sit on the same side of the table. <laughs> wow. What if you're good though but, at backhand arm wrestling as such? What do you mean? So if, if, I, if I went that way. Well, like I told you, it's really hard to pull <laughs> things that in that direction compared to pushing with your other muscles. Hang on, so you're, saying, Dan, you're saying that we're sitting next to each other and I'm pushing this way and you're pushing this way. I don't think we've invented a new spot. <laughs> yeah, hang on, I think we might have. Arm pulling. Isn't that... You, you have exactly the same position as arm wrestling, but you have to pull. You have to sit next to each other. Or you just have to pull. Yeah. You have to pull, so you slam your own arm down. I mean, I think we've invented a sport that's even less exciting to watch than arm wrestling. <laughs> but you're saying they have the right-handed championships, and they say, and now we're going to have the left-handed yeah. championships. Yeah, it's different categories. It's like different yeah. weights in boxing, but you've just got different arms. Is there any other sport that does that? With yeah, right in boxing, left? you can only punch with your right hand, and then some people are really good at only punching with their left hand. <laughs> I don't believe no, you. That's no, that's because I'm not telling the truth. Um, can I just quickly mention, with Over the Top, this movie, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. with John Brzenk, um, basically, when Over the Top was going into production, they did a thing for part of the promotion where they actually set up this massive arm wrestling championship that was called Over the Top once the, uh, once the movie was greenlit. So they went, let's actually do this. And so they did it as this 
both it was a sort of national thing in America, but then they yeah. had international qualifying rounds that would happen in places like Japan, and they had a final in Las Vegas. And the final, when all of these competitors from all around the country came together, that was the footage that makes it into the final oh, okay. of the film. Hey. And so, yeah, and so you see real arm wrestlers yeah. who were part of this big well, tournament. You, you would have to have real arm wrestlers, otherwise you have normal actors with <laughs> presumably like fake arms. Well, pr- the problem was is that they wanted to use real arm wrestlers to fight or to do the arm wrestle with Stallone in the final uh, of the yeah. movie, but they were all too big. It was unrealistic, no, so they I did thought, get an. No, they. I thought they weren't big enough because it's it's more about technique. They've got more normal arm lookings than the huge weightlifting oh, some muscles. Some of them have got massive arms. Some I don't know. Yeah, Cleve yeah. Dean, the, who was the main arm wrestler at the time, uh, was ginormous, right. and he was. And they said this is so That's impractical too. that you would win this. Like but, for instance, Garth, yeah. all arms, Carlson. Well, he does sound like he's got big arms. <laughs> or tiny, the rest of him. <laughs> Such a weird name, isn't it? All yeah. arms. Yeah. It does imply he's got sort of nine arms. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Terry Big Man Barton is another one. <laughs> they're all big men. I've they're, seen videos. They're very WD-40 nicknames, aren't they? They're not. They're, no one's called the Smokescreen or the Diplomat. It's the best one I could find was Vern the One-Armed Bandit Martel. Uh, and I don't know why you're laughing, because he lost his arm in a motorcycle accident. Did he? Yeah. One of them. Oh, uh, but, as in he was actually one arm. Yeah, oh my god. One arm bandit had actually did have one arm. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, he started going back into tournaments again after his accident. Right. And which his, did he lose his good arm? No, he lost his less good arm. Yeah. That's incredible. Because uh, you, yeah. you can't hold on to the peg. Yeah, as in, yeah, so he yeah. couldn't yeah. use yeah. the So um, he became the best in the world in the non-able body class, but right. he also came fourth in the regular able body wow. class once. Which That's is pretty incredible. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Some arcade game stuff. Yeah. Mm. You know those penny pushers uh, mm. where you put like 2p in and I love those. there's like some oh, yeah. shells. I've spent more money than I'm comfortable with on those. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Me too. Well, um, they're invented by a company called Compton's in 1964 and they were so sure that it was just going to be a one year thing that they didn't even put a patent on it. They thought this will just be fun for one year. Everyone will forget about it, so Gosh. we're not going to do that. And then that's why you get them in all of the arcades now because they uh, weren't patented. But why but, do they steal my money so effectively? Well, it's really interesting that. So there's a hole where all the money goes down. So it yeah. seems that when you put 2p in, it's bound to come out, right? Eventually, it'll come out. So every 2p that goes in... Should equal 1 2p, 2p out. out. Yeah. yeah. Now, the way to make money is to for some of those 2p's to fall into the machine. But... Surely you'd notice. Yeah. You used to be yeah. able to notice. There used to be a big hole in the middle, and you see the two Ps go down, and that would be where, you know, obviously they made the money. But now they hide the holes. <gasps> so there are holes on the side You're that joking. the two Ps go into, and so not all of the two Ps that go in come out, and that's what? how they make the money. I... That's a swizz. It's an absolute swizz. That genuinely has is something that's been blown wide open. I can't believe that. So they have to do they have to muffle the noise of the two piece sliding down the holes? Oh, they must do, I guess. Because that's a noisy thing when you put your two yeah, piece yeah, at the top. Yeah. I sometimes, you know, will resort to just banging in a fiver. Just thinking, <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll help. Putting a fiver no, no. into the slot. I have to pipe up. it down with a long uh, pipe cleaner thing. Yeah, and yeah. Then I think that'll get me a few two piece. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are up there, so do check them out. 
And also go and check out the links to the upcoming tour dates that we're going to be playing in September. It's the final leg of Nerd Immunity. It's an awesome night. We're going to do a live podcast in the second half and a whole show that you've never seen before in the first half. It's stand-up. It's facts. It's everything you want. Come and see it. Um, (laughs) Did I sell it? I hope so. All right. We'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.